Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. We hope you enjoy today's message. Maybe seated. My sermon title this morning is Home is Where the Heart Is. Home, home is where the heart is. I think this weekend, this coming weekend, is fitting for where we find ourselves in today's text. When we think about what is coming, we think about Independence Day, we think about Fourth of July weekend, and, and, and we, we really think about its meaning and its independence, and we celebrate being American citizens and having the liberties and the freedom that we have to live in this country. For many of us, we don't even really think that deep about Independence Day or the 4th of July. If we're being honest, most people in the room, we, we see it as, as a holiday that we're going to use to enjoy a day off. For many of you, you can already smell the scent of the barbecue in the air. Many of you are smelling the ribs already. M- many of you are going to use the 4th of July weekend to break the diet that you've been on. Some of you have been fake like you've been on a keto diet or on some sort of diet trying to lose some weight, some imaginary pounds. But this week, you're going to break that diet in the name of Jesus. You're going to enjoy all the ribs, all the hot dogs, all the hamburgers from the grill, all the baked beans and potato salad that your stomach can enjoy this week. And you're going to be ratchet in the Lord, and that's fine. That's fine, but, but, the, but, but the 4th of July has an actual meaning. It's, it's our in, independence to live in America. But that's not the only day we celebrate being American citizens. We also have other holidays, such as Veterans Day, that we celebrate in November, where we honor those who have served their country, who have gone and put their lives on the line to protect our freedom, our freedom of speech, our freedom that we have in this country to go and come as we please, freedom actually to be here in worship without persecution, to believe what we believe. Uh, We have the freedom to do that because people, men and women, are around the world and in this country serving serving us so that they can protect us and protect our freedoms. But that's not the only day. We also have a day called Memorial Day where we celebrate people that actually gave their lives so that we can have freedom, that there were actually men and women who enlisted to serve their country and lost their lives uh, doing that public civic duty that, they, that they've done. And so we appreciate them and we, we, we want to honor them. We celebrate these days because we celebrate what it means to be an American citizen. Citizenship means something. And many of us don't appreciate it until you go to a foreign land and then you get homesick and you figure out, I, I actually like where I'm from. I like all of the amenities that come along with living in America. You notice how a lot of people complain about America, but nobody's moving to leave here? You ever notice that, right? But, but that's not to say that we can't have complaints, but it is to say that it ain't bad enough that you want to get on a plane or a boat and leave, right? Because we appreciate this citizenship and the freedoms that we have. Matter of fact, it is, it is taught us to have some sort of civic and citizenship, some sort of pride in that from, from the earliest days. When we get into elementary school, what is one of the first things that happens before class starts? We do the Pledge of Allegiance, where children all over the country put their right hand over their hearts and pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We pledge an oath of loyalty and allegiance to our country from childhood. I remember when we first moved in our neighborhood last year at the beginning of summer, 
Then July rolled around, and right before the 4th of July, one morning I woke up, and there were magically appeared these little American flags in everybody's yard without asking anybody if they wanted a flag. They just assumed that I was pride, prideful of where I came from in my country. And they put all of these flags in everybody's yard, signifying that there was a reason for us to have a pride and loyalty in our country that we live in. And so citizenship and civic pride is actually the backdrop of the text that we are reading today. And in verse 20 of today's text, the Apostle Paul says, our citizenship is not in America or not in Rome if it's for his audience, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. He says our citizenship is in heaven. Now, if you've been following along in our sermon series, when we were in the first chapter, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, just as one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Paul talks about citizenship at the outset of the letter. He says, live your life worthy of the gospel, meaning that live your life in a way that represents where you come from. Live your life in a way that would make a good representation of the land that you actually come from, saying that if we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that there's a place that we come from. We must represent the one that saved us. And so he talks about this citizenship. He says our citizenship is in heaven. This word citizenship means more to you than you think it does, but I'm going to tell you why it means so much. Because the word citizenship comes from a word politics. Is P-O-L-I-S. It is where we get our English word politics from, politician from, police from, metropolis from. We get all of those words from this word citizenship. And so Paul is intentionally being, being extremely political and he's being extremely subversive when he tells them that your citizenship is in heaven. What Paul is trying to convey to them is that your citizenship has implications on your values and the choices that you make in life. Your values and choices actually reflect where you come from. Your values and your choices actually reflect where you come from. And so for Paul's audience, Roman citizenship meant everything. Philippi was not actually in Rome, but they were a Roman colony. And so Philippi was a Roman colony, although it was not in Rome. And so therefore, the citizens of Philippi enjoyed Roman citizenship and all of its benefits. This is good because they, they prided themselves on being from Rome. They prided themselves of being a part of the great empire of Rome. And so they, they took a privilege of being citizens, just like we would take privilege in being citizens of the United States of America. There would have been a temptation for them to have a complete allegiance to Rome and to Rome's politics. And Paul is saying to the members of the church in Philippi, your allegiance is not to Rome. Your allegiance is actually to the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying you have been born again and you have a new citizenship and this place is not your home. And what I want to say to you today is in this world that we live in, there are times where you should feel like I'm not actually from here. There should be some times where things happen in this country that are so immoral and so wicked and so wrong and so unjust that you say, man, this feels wrong. I don't feel like I belong here. This feels uh, uncomfortable to me. Like this, this level of wickedness I'm not accustomed to. Why don't people do the things that they do? How could they do that? How could they act that way? How could they treat people like this? How could people do this kind of thing? How are people out there perpetrating these kinds of acts? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't relate to this. I don't feel like I should even be 
be here. That's because this ain't your home. That's because you're not. If you've been born again, if you're a blood-washed, spirit-filled believer, you are actually not from here. This place is not your home. And sometimes you should long for something more. You should long for something different. Sometimes you can do things and think that they will give you a feeling, but you still have a longing there. That is your soul communicating to you that there is something else that you are longing for. No matter how many vacations you go on, no matter how beautiful the beach is, no matter how long the cruise is and how good the food is on the queue, on the cruise, it will never satisfy you completely. There will always be a part of you that just wants something different. Let me tell you what that is. You're longing for home. Paul said in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Why would he call them strangers and exiles? Because he's trying to communicate to them that you are living in the world, but you're not of the world. You're not actually from here. You have a different homeland. He's trying to tell them. He says, hey, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war on your soul. What he's saying is your conduct actually is determined by where you are from. And we have to act and conduct ourselves in a manner that is fitting of where we come from. We have to represent our heavenly home. It was a call for them to hold loosely to their civic pride, to not be blind blinded by an allegiance and the same thing that can be said for us. It is cool to be proud that you're from America or from whatever country you're from, but your ultimate allegiance is to your citizenship in heaven. And he's saying, don't sell your soul to a political party. No matter what party it is, people on the left side think the left is right. And people on the right side think the right is right. People think Democrats are right. People think Republicans are right. Or some of us are so arrogant like me that you think you're independent and you're better than both of them. But let me tell you something, Jesus would rebuke both parties. There are things on both sides that, that are a stench in the nostrils of God, and he would not endorse either side or either candidate from either side. And that is to say for us that we do not put our hope in a political system or a political party, and definitely we don't put our hope in a political candidate. The only candidate we put our hope in is one that never had to take a vote, and his name is Jesus. And so, we ought to conduct ourselves like we're from our homeland. And we conduct ourselves in such a way that we conduct ourselves like we're headed toward the city we're going towards, which is heaven. And you may say, how can it be that I'm a citizen of heaven and I ain't never been to heaven? The citizens of Philippi, some of them had never been to Rome either, but they had Roman citizenship. Ephesians 2 and 6, Paul said this, He has also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens. He has seated us with him in the heavens. When Jesus saved you, he seated you alongside him, right? We, we, we are from a city that defines our dignity and determines our destiny. We, we, we are from a beautiful place. And so let me say this, we don't pledge allegiance to the flag, we pledge allegiance to a cross, our allegiance is to the cross, not to a flag. And here's what he says in verses 18 through 19. For I have often told you, now I say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, this is sobering. And it's sad and, and, and it's heartbreaking because he says many live as enemies of the Christ. And unfortunately, in this text, Paul is not talking about unbelievers. Paul is actually talking about people in the church. 
He says many live as enemies of the cross. He's talking about professed Christians that were as, acting this way. He says that I, I, they, 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 they have me in tears. I'm weeping with tears. They were not conducting themselves like they were actually picking up their cross and following Jesus, but they were living lives that were in staunch opposition of the cross. And so you're probably asking, what does it mean then for me to be an enemy of the cross? Or what does it mean for anybody to be an enemy of the cross? It literally means that their lives repudiated all that the cross stood for. They did the things that were staunchly opposed to everything Jesus died to free us from. They, they lived in all kinds of immorality, from sexual immorality, lust, greed, rage, anger, maliciousness, slandering towards people. They did all of these things, and he says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. What people in church were filled with lust, greed, anger, rage, malice, and slander. And he said, yeah, they live like enemies of the cross. But he says that they have an end in his destruction. He said their God is in their stomach, which meant that they only had an appetite for the things that were opposed to God. He said they glory in their shame. These people were in church on Sunday morning, serving God, paying tithes, taking notes, serving the people of God. But Monday through Saturday told a different story. And he was like, they, 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 they not only did these things, it, it was the only thing that they were pursuing. Like, like it, he, he's literally saying that they were bold about it. The, the, and we see this. This is not foreign to us because we, we all know people like this. I'm, I'm not going to venture to say that there are people like this in this church because there are no people like that in this church. I, I venture to say that we know people like this. These are the type of people who go to church on Sunday, but if you follow them on social media, they promote everything except for God. These were the people who post up in the club, drink in hand on Friday and Saturday night, but are in church serving you on Sunday morning. These are the people who literally go on vacation with people they're not married to and post pictures and put it on their story like God don't care about it. Ooh, y'all so quiet in here, Jesus. Oh, my God. Y'all are like, Pastor, we don't know anybody like that. We don't know anybody like that. We've never done that. We don't know anybody. That, that, is, that is not the testimony of this house. Well, I'm going to preach it anyway like it is. Be careful when you've gotten to a place where you flaunt your sin. Where it becomes a badge of honor. Where you think that posting up with your liquor is showing people that you grown now. But if you gotta prove to people that you grown on social media, you know what that means. You ain't grown at all. Grown ain't showing people that you know how to drink. Grown is paying your bills on time. You know what's grown? Grown is having good credit. You know what's grown? Showing up to work on time and not leaving too early. You know what's grown? Getting your paycheck and not complaining about how much it's not, but rather being a good steward over what it is. You know what's grown? 
getting paid at the end of the week and not buying everything for yourself and forgetting God? You know what's grown? Being in a relationship with a guy or a girl, because y'all ladies do it too, being in a relationship for 10 years and not moving towards nothing else. You know what else? It, it, it's not grown. Not, not, not grown is playing house. Y'all all right? Y'all still here? Y'all coming back on the 4th of July? He said that their God is in their stomach and they, they glory in their shame. They boast about their exploits. And I'm not saying, hey, do those things secretly because nothing is not in the eyesight of God. What I'm saying is be mindful of who you represent and that you represent him at all times. I'm not saying perfect, but what I am saying is it should not characterize who you are as a person. Their focus was on earthly things. They pursued comfort as opposed to pursuing Christ. And this is what he's calling us to do today. Hey, not pursuing your, your comforts and your flesh, but to pursue holiness and pursue God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. I love this. Do not love this world. Do not love this world. Know the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Your citizenship is not here, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Why is this important? Because it's a matter of life and death. Choose this day whom you'll serve. I love when Paul wrote in Romans 6, 1, talking about the grace of God, because we as Christians love to say, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And it's true. However, Paul said in Romans 6 and 1, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? And he answers emphatically in verse 2, absolutely not. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Notice he doesn't say you make a mistake in sin or that we sin occasionally. But what he is saying is, as believers, we don't take residence there. You don't make a house and a home out of a sinful place. You don't eat there. You don't rest there. You don't let that characterize who you are as a person. I'm not trying to preach this holy, holier than thou message and holiness by works. But what I am saying is if you are saved by grace, Jesus didn't save you to leave you the way you were. But he has made us new. Will we battle with sin? Will we battle with temptation? Of course we will. But he has given us power by his grace to overcome those things that are a struggle. We cannot continue to live and abuse the grace of God and call ourselves Christians. And I'm telling you today, if your life does not characterize Jesus, I'm not going to stand up at your funeral and put you in heaven. She was really nice. 
But in other news, there's a parallel passage to this passage, and it says this, Colossians 3 and 1. There's a parallel. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you've been looking for the OU, stop looking because the OU is dead. Jesus didn't make minor adjustments to your personality. He made a new you. And so we think about the kingdom of God and our citizenship. The kingdom permeates and transforms our values, our relationships. If you go to a third world country, there are things that you're not going to participate in. You know why? Because that's not what you do in America. You'll be like, I ain't, I'm not doing that. I'm not eating from there. What? It's still crawling. I'm not eating that. <laughs> you would do that because you've become accustomed to where you're from. There are things that you just won't do. <sighs> but when it comes to your heavenly citizenship and you plant your feet in this earth, why is it that you make a buffet and do everything? And this is what he's trying to remind us of, that we're not from here. It's a call for us not to be complacent and stagnant spiritually. That God didn't say, I say this, I sound like a broken record, and I am, and it's fine. God didn't call you to stay stuck. He just didn't. There's room for us to grow at all times. We're constantly pursuing God. And when we have the grace of God, we don't use the grace to say, oh, my God, I know God going to forgive me, so Lord, forgive me, and there I go. No, it's not that. We have this grace of God that we've been given. And in, in Galatians, it tells us, use our freedom not as an opportunity to gratify the desires of the flesh, but use it as an opportunity to serve other people. And so you're wondering, how do I flesh out this citizenship? Because it's one thing to tell me to do something, but I think oftentimes for us, it is hard to follow the commands of God and the commands of Jesus because we don't have people to model it for us. Or we have not looked for people to model it for us. And here's what he gives us. For, our, for, our, for, our, for walking and living life worthy of the gospel. If you look at verse 17, look at what Paul says. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying, hey, you need to find some people that you can model. You need some mentors and some models to show you how to live this Christian life. And if you ask yourself, why do I need to imitate anyone or have anyone to look for to imitate? If your pride tells you that you're okay with the people that you hang around, that they're just like you and you don't need to look anywhere else, then you are fooling yourself. None of us are smart enough, wise enough, or godly enough to not have other Christians walking and doing life with us. We have too many blind spots, myself included. I love what one theologian said. He said this, we are no more the best judge of our condition than is the patient who on hearing the doctor's diagnosis of cancer replies, but I feel all right. And some of us have spiritual fill in the disease and we don't know it and we walk around saying but I feel alright we've convinced ourselves that we're okay when we're not he says pay careful attention to those who live 
according to the example you saw in us. He says, imitate me. Paul is not putting himself on a pedestal. Remember in verse 13, Paul said, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is forward, I press toward the mark. So you're not looking for a perfect person. You're looking for somebody who's striving towards perfection. He's calling us to imitate them. In another scripture, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He also said, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul is saying that this is a family project. No one can follow Jesus by themselves. When Jesus called the disciples, he says, anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow after me. Notice Jesus was never following, never taking a walk by himself. If you're by yourself and nobody's following you, you're not a leader. You're just taking a walk. But Jesus had people with him. He has a band of disciples that are walking with him, doing life with him. Do not be fooled to think that we can walk this life on our own. You need somebody besides the people that you hang out with to walk with you. He's saying, look at the examples that you have right right in front of you and near you. Mimic, Mimic their, not just their belief, but their behavior. Mimic them. Look, look, follow, follow after them. And, and, and unfortunately for us, we've been groomed to to want to get next to the people who have the most success. But he's not talking about people who have the nicest car and the, live in the nicest neighborhood or who has the most money or who has the most degrees or who can help you network to get to the next place that you're trying to go to. No, he's saying find somebody who's actually pursuing God and ask them Hey, can I walk alongside you? But even that costs something. Because if you open yourself up to somebody who's further along with you than you spiritually, discipleship is actually opening your life up for somebody else to speak into it, both negatively and positively. And many of us, many of us are way too prideful for that. We just are. But we need people who will be honest with us and say, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm proud of you. But you need to make an adjustment here or a change here. Maybe we need somebody to just tell us to grow up. But we have to use discernment, but also be courageous in finding people to walk with us. I want to read you something from Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and 1 says this. I love this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. It suggests that there's a possibility for you to be happy if you don't hang around the wrong people. You are the sum total of the people that you hang around the most. There is no way that you can hang around people who are not living a life following Jesus and you not follow along with it. It, 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 is, it is virtually impossible, and, and some of us are not strong enough. Should, should, oh, so you're saying I shouldn't have Christian friends? I'm not saying you shouldn't have Christian friends, but what I am saying is if you know you're not very strong and you're hanging around somebody or spending the most of your time with a group of people or with a person who is not strong spiritually, they're going to have more influence on you than you have on them. 
And at what point do we make a decision to say, you know what, my spiritual livelihood is far too important and significant in God's eyes for me to continue in this lane. But we got FOMO. We just can't, it, we can't fathom not being one of the cool kids. But what profit a woman or a man to gain the whole world and lose so? You popping in these streets. But I want to be popping in heaven. You got them likes, but I want Jesus to like me. You can twist and turn and contort your figure all you want on the gram. You can edit yourself to death. Y'all don't don't want this pre-4th of July. I mean, you just don't. You just don't. But, But God is calling us to model ourselves not after the next celebrity, but after the person who's actually following Jesus. Imitate somebody who knows how to suffer well. Imitate somebody that walks in humility and considers others more important than themselves. Imitate a person who walks in self-denial, not self-indulgence. Imitate walking in humility by admitting that you haven't arrived yet. Imitate people who don't work their way into heaven, but rest in the righteousness of Christ that has already been given. And my question is, and I like to ask people this, are you someone that others can imitate and follow? And if you say, no, I'm not, I want to enlighten you that God has put that burden on all of us as believers to be people that others can imitate. There's something in your Bible in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission tells us to go, therefore. And you know what it tells us to do? Make disciples. That's not for the special Christians. That's not for the preachers. That's for you. And this is what he's calling us to. A deep discipleship. And he's calling us to do it together. To do it together. And so there's something else that we do besides follow after people who can mimic and follow Jesus for us. But he tells us that we eagerly await a Savior. We eagerly eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we're from heaven, but we're actually waiting our Savior to come back. We're we're waiting him. And and this this language in the text is so subversive and we'll miss it because we're not in the culture, but we'll miss it. He calls Jesus Lord and Savior. Do you know who was considered Lord in this context? Caesar. Do you know who was called Savior in this context? Caesar. And Paul is intentionally saying, Jesus, your Savior and Lord, saying that you don't owe anything to Caesar before your allegiance to Jesus. Your savior is not in a president or a political figure or a politician. Your savior is Jesus. 
This is what he's saying. He's saying that, that your Savior is not a man and his policies. Your Savior is the one who has conquered and solved the greatest problem that we have, sin and death. And this Savior reigns from heaven and his name is Jesus and he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords and he's defeated both of our nemesis and there ain't no need for a recount or a revolt. There ain't no stop the steal campaign. None of that. It has already been settled and it is already finished. And this is who we wait for and who we put our hope in. Because things will not be right in the way they will, the way they should be until he returns. So what do we do while we wait? We prepare. We prepare. We prepare. We imitate others who are following Jesus. And we pull others along to imitate us as we imitate others. But we prepare for what is to come. Here's the beautiful thing. Everything that we deny ourselves, sometimes it feels like, man, I can't deny myself this because this is too good to me. It's too pleasurable for me. It's too enjoyable to me. I love it too much. I love them so much that I can't just, even if God tells me to, I just can't deny myself because this is just how I feel and what I want to do. And I'm willing to compromise and I'm willing to trade in everything that God has called me to because I need the instant gratification. And so I, I get it. I, I feel you. But let me tell you something. God would not have us waiting on something that won't be worth it. Everything that we long for and we try to put in the place of God, God is going to satisfy all of our needs. Here's what he says, and I'm done. The last verse, verse 21, he says he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He is saying that when he comes back, he's going to make us like him. These old deteriorating, decaying bodies are going to be no longer, but we'll have new glorified, resurrected bodies that will not be subject to suffering, sin, and sickness that we will walk around and not have any pain and he's going to wipe away every tear and there won't be no more cancer and there won't be no more diabetes and no more migraine headaches and no more upset stomachs and no more asthma and no more indigestion and no more heart attacks and no more strokes and no more arthritis and no more aneurysms and none of those things will exist anymore because he's coming back to make everything right. And we fool ourselves to think and act and live in such a way that we think that this is all there is. This is as good as it's going to get. This is not as good as it's going to get. But he is coming back and it will be worth the wait. And this light momentary affliction will not even compare to the eternal weight of glory that he's going to bring back. You think going to the beach and having a vacation satisfies you? I know it satisfies me. But I, I'd be a fool to think that when the one who created everything isn't going to bring back something exponentially, infinitely better than we've ever experienced. Can you imagine day after day with no pain in your body? That once you get 35 years old, you wake up, everything cracks when you wake up. <laughs> that you won't hear anything. That God will have taken out the biggest can of WD-40 ever and sprayed your knees and your backs and your joints. Yeah. 
Won't be no cracking. You just spring up out of the bed. Can you, can you imagine what it will be like that there won't be any more cancer for those of you who have lost people to that fatal disease? That there won't be any more suffering. Those of you that suffer with headaches and digestive issues and heart issues, it won't be any longer? And you mean to tell me you know that that is coming and you ain't willing to wait in the meantime? That all he's asking us to to endure and not in our own power, but by the power of the spirit that he gave us. What it is, what would it be in a world where there ain't no resurrection, insurrection? There ain't nobody storming the Capitol. Because there ain't nothing to argue about. There ain't no policies to change. There ain't no votes to undo. Everything will be settled. This is what he's drawing us to. This is what we want and we long for more than anything else. Some of us have sold ourselves short because we need that instant gratification because we don't want to disappoint ourselves and we don't want to disappoint somebody else. All the while disappointing God. But the gospel means something. You know what the beauty of heaven is? I love this quote. What makes heaven heaven isn't just the absence of the sufferings of this world. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of the Savior. We get Jesus. He's the gift. He's the gift. This is what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, we wait and we live like where we're headed to. We live like where we're headed to. Don't be just convicted today, but be encouraged that God has better for us, that God wants more for you, that there's a life that God wants to be yours that is far more fulfilling and far more rewarding, not that it doesn't have issues and problems and sufferings, but he gives you a joy inside and a love inside and a passion inside that nothing else outside of him can fulfill. Your longing is a longing for home because home is where your heart is and your home is heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, today I'm imploring you to reconsider what it means to represent the kingdom of God. That if God gives you influence, the influence isn't for you to leverage for you, it's to leverage for him. You got followers, but where are you leading them? To you, to your pretty face. You cute, but you can't save nobody. You look good, bro, can't save nobody. The new outfit looks great. It's a good investment. Can't save anybody. 
So I want to encourage you today not to be condemned because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but I want you to be encouraged to know that there's a greater call for your life. That to live for God is not some impossible task. It's impossible without Him, but it is possible with Him. With God, all things are possible. So I just want to encourage you today Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness, and the things will be added to you. What would it be like for you to make a commitment to God in all that he wants to do in your life, and to forsake the world, forsake the pleasures, forsake the immorality? What would it look like to forsake all of that and pursue Jesus for a season? What would it look like to make that commitment? This is what he died for. And so let's not, who, those of us who bear the name of Jesus, let's not take the grace of God in vain. His kindness is meant to draw us to repentance. And so I want to encourage you today. Be who God called you to be and represent where you're actually from. God has greater for you than what you've settled for. He really has. He loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. Are you willing to be uncomfortable for him? Death versus not being comfortable. What would it look like for you to pursue God with your whole heart? This is what he's called us to. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.